episode 85 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about the ghost of Christmas. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron, Adam, and I talk about a time-traveling trick-taking game where you play your cards in the past, present, and future. This is the first of a few seasonal board game reviews we'll be releasing as we approach the end of 2022. Aaron starts with an apology, and despite a highly edited episode, you may still hear hints of contention from our playthrough. You'll also hear jingle bells at a few points because so much was cut out, it could not be stitched back together. Nothing like a bit of tension to kick off the holidays. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to Aaron, Adam, and myself talking about the ghost of Christmas. Well, I would like to apologize. What I've done is I think I've taken a delightful game and made it fun for only me. That seems accurate as we just finished playing ghost of christmas you can play it on tabletopia we played it on tabletop simulator but just so you know there is a slightly more legitimate i guess tabletopia is quite more legitimate way of playing it i don't think that the what we played on tabletop simulator was official but in any case this was a kickstarter game probably from 2018 because it says the release date is 2019 you play in the past present and future all at once in this tricky card game it's three to four players. It says that it's best at four. This is according to people who've on Board Game Geek. The community can suggest what play count the game is better at. Sometimes this isn't very wide in the first place. It's You only have two options. People say it's better at four. We just played it at three. It says 40 minute playing time. I think it is a little long for what it is. Age is eight and up. Weight is two out of five. The designer is Taiki Shinzawa. I do really like the art and style of this game a lot. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, It's published by BoardGameTables.com. It seems like it is still in print. There was an ad on BoardGameGeek for $24 on Amazon. Noble Knight, eBay, and the Geek Market, BoardGameGeek Market, all had it for under $20. I just used the Geek Market for the first time. As long as you have a PayPal or Venmo account, it is pretty easy and great. And you're just buying the game from someone else who uses BoardGameGeek. It is ranked overall at 3,702. It has a 7.2 out of 10 rating, which is, it's hard for things to really get all that much higher, which is uh, frustrating. There's 454 ratings on it and 188 comments give you a sense of how many people have kind of engaged with this game. And, you know, it's not that old. It's a seasonal game, so that's pretty good. But it was on Kickstarter, so maybe there was a lot of publicity around it for that reason. Aaron, do you want to talk about the theme and kind of how to play this game yeah i mean it's a trick-taking game it is a very nice holiday theme instead of playing one card and then resolving the trick in every round you play you play three cards and you play them into the christmas past christmas present and christmas future after the in our case nine in a four-player game 12 cards are played then you resolve in the order of the past uh present and future but the winner of the past trick basically claims the lead or the color of importance in the middle trick in terms of who's going to win a trick you might not know until the very end because you uh you can play actually in any order so you're going to play three cards uh in any round you're going to play them in the past present and future but you can choose to play in the past even if the person who led played in the future so it's a really fun take on a trick-taking game and i think that that kind of mechanic of past present and future plays incredibly well with the with the theme now, what about how you win and score points? Oh, yeah. The the bidding is sort of unforgiving. 
So the way you bid and score points is bef- in turn order before the, the hand starts, uh, each person has to take a number of doors predicting how many tricks that they will win. They can take purple doors and then each person can take up to one red door. And if you get exactly as many tricks as you have doors, then you score points. If you took a red door, you can have one less than you predicted, but you only score one point per per trick that you took. If you take all purple doors, has to be exact. And if you don't meet those scoring conditions, i.e. you didn't take enough tricks or you took too many tricks, then you don't score any points at all. So it's not very forgiving. The red door can help because you can basically get one less and still score. But because you score double when you do the just purple doors, like you're incentivized to not take the red door. And uh, yeah, I think the scoring can be a bit tough if you're not accustomed to trick-taking games, especially because you're trying to predict the amount of tricks you'll have in a very timey-wimey setting where it looks like you've done everything you need to do and then all of a sudden it changes and someone else is winning the middle trick and then you're not actually getting the trick you thought you had. So that may be a little too punishing. There is a tiny Tim version uh, that scores a little more like hearts where nobody bids. If you take zero tricks, you get six points. One to six tricks, you get a point for every trick. And if you take more than seven, you've been too greedy and you get zero points. I think that calling it the tiny Tim version feels... Sometimes when they say family version or tiny Tim version, it can feel like diminutive or it can it can feel how do you think tiny tim juvenile or the less cool variant well i think in general i like punishing variants in trick-taking games but because of the high variance in the way this game plays out i think it's a pretty fun variant to play even without the bidding i think it's it's not wait what is if like i i think i would be willing what what i i think i can imagine the game being very good without doing the bidding scoring and just as competitive. I did not like the way that the scoring worked. There was also, at the very end of the rule book, a beyond variant. It just adds a fourth time zone. You Where, yeah, you're adding another time zone. But do you not play as many? You don't play as, you, you still do. So you have, you start the round with 12 cards and you just do three instead of four rounds. Because you play you four cards every less. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was another option. And I'm, I don't really know... Because we play it digitally, I'm not sure everything that comes in the box, like how it actually looks different coming out of the box right, to play right. those two. And then when you play with less uh, people, you take out the one, two, and three cards. Yeah, so there's yeah, so you're playing with cards. I, I would have preferred to take out the high cards and not the low cards because it helps my counting. I don't think that would have mattered because it's essentially the same, right? Whether you take out the high ones or the low ones. I would have rather taken out random cards. Oh. So that you couldn't perfectly count. Because at one point I asked, can I look through the discard? And Aaron, it does not say in the rules whether you can or not. Aaron was like, well, no. And I was like, but you count cards. So I'm going to look through the Discord. I didn't I say know. no. I thought I said, we're playing a friendly game, so I shouldn't say no. That is a fancy no. That is a you yes, but I'll judge you. You also said the Council of Trick-Taking would never allow such a thing to happen in any other trick-taking game. I, and I, would look down upon those that did. Now, I did start this episode with an apology, but yeah. I, I, I do feel... More could be needed. So our thoughts is... Where we're going. That's the summary of the game. Next, we're going to answer a few questions in our thoughts. We're going to answer, do we think it's good? What do we think makes this game unique? Was it easy to learn? And how did we feel while playing? And we'll kind of close up with whether or not we recommend the game. So first, I'm going to go to Adam. Is this game good? Oh, I think the game could be good. It's it's definitely possible in your life mm. and with the people around you that you love could be a great game Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think for me no certainly isn't (laughs) but 
It's the warning I would put on it is that it is a what I would call a well actually game. Oh. And what by that I mean you're playing this game and all of a sudden someone goes, Well, actually, because mm. this happened, now this happened. And I think well actually games are fun ruining games because whatever you think is happening is not actually happening. And so then expectations aren't met and then disappointment and fury ensues. Mm. So I think, and that's okay. Like people like those kind of games. I just think it is a recipe for maybe people to not get what they want out of that game and to find out in the last minute that's happening. What I thought was best about this, if you're familiar with the A Christmas Carol, and if I guess if you're not, we didn't really talk at all about that. There's a story about how this old guy who's miserly, um, just not not too charitable. Ebenezer. Ebenezer Scrooge, and a Scrooge has in uh, is kind of a slang I think now for someone who displays these traits, like. Not very charitable, not very uh, empathetic kind of person. So it's Christmas. He goes to sleep and he, he has this guy that works for him that he's not being very nice to. Who And that guy has a lovely family and he doesn't care. Um, and uh, he's kind of known about town for just being kind of a jerk. And he goes to bed on Christmas Eve. And he's, it's probably just a dream, but he's visited by these spirits and he's visited by ghosts of the past who kind of takes him to his past, talks about how his past has turned him into who he is, you know, today, uh, talks about his present, what's going on right now at this Christmas, and then gives him kind of this warning look into the future as to how he'll be remembered and what the ramifications of his actions are. And that's kind of the bigger story that is then pasted onto this trick-taking card game. So the cards themselves have pictures of the characters from that story. And then, you know, the three ghosts are kind of the, are where you're playing each one of these tricks. I liked a game that uses that little bit of time travel-ness, like that time travel idea paired with like what we're doing actually in the game mechanics. Like I thought that was a really good fit. So to see this time palatrix also listed Suggest that like that was not the original idea maybe for this game. And then someone did fit the Christmas theme onto it. All of that to say, even though it is a Christmas themed game in the playing of it, you don't, it doesn't feel. Any... You do get to put the wreath on the door when you take. A, I did also a... like putting the wreaths on the door. Um, because when you take the, tr- you're planning how many you're going to win by bidding and you show your bid by taking these individual doors, as Aaron said. And then when you do win a trick, you put a wreath on one of your available doors. And I did like thematically how we were, you know, decorating then for Christmas. Really the theme of it, I loved, I think. And then kind of to what Adam's saying, this well actually for something that looks light and could be friendly. I think understanding how any of it's going to work is difficult. And I think some of that is just kind of masked with the idea that it's past, present, future. But I think also it probably could be, the rule book could be a little longer. It could be, I think it could be a little better in relating just a touch of the strategy to you. Because when you play for the first time and you're trying to evaluate, how am I going to bid? You have no idea. I think. Yeah, it it I think the rule book both in strategy pointers and in describing the play of the game assumes you know how to play a trick-taking game. It does say in there you might want to play cards into different 
time settings to thin your hand so that you can't follow suit. But for me, the double following suit part, I think I don't even like or care for. Well, I will say for from a gameplay perspective, so traditionally in a trick-taking game, going last is an, adv- is an advantage. And I think having the ability in going first to set the suit for the area that you want to set it kind of balances that. And I felt like in general, I was trying to go last a lot, but then I found there to be some frustration when you or Adam would go first and then uh, kind of redirect my plan by placing a suit in a place that I didn't, that I, that I wanted to have the color I wanted. So I think that the, it balanced the going last positional advantage of trick taking, which I liked. But in a three-player game, you're going to get to go first in at least one of them if you so choose. No, because the w- y- yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get to choose at least one of the time settings to go first. Yeah. Well, right, but like sometimes setting the first like like there were a couple times where Adam set the first zone where mm, the the cards I had would have been much more benefited in setting the first zone or having control of the first zone. Especially I've also when scored zero points in that game, for yeah. the record. Well, that's so true. But whatever advantage I had, what? Yeah, might it was huge. Well, I think apparently, I feel like it was really important in a lot of trick-taking games. You play. I, I feel like whether or not you scored, I feel like you played in a way to frustrate my plans, which is among your goals as you play games, and you successfully did that several times. I, I only scored in one hand. So I scored enough in that hand to win, but like I only scored once. And in the final hand, you were telling us the different ways in which, no matter how we understood the game, you also won. Well, yeah, but I, I was just trying to relate how I was understanding the rules given the things and the choices that we had made. So for me, I kind of was bridging off of what Adam said before. But to circle back, do I think it's good? I think the theme matched with what you're doing is excellent. I think it is a well-actually game, and for me... Well, actually, games depend deeply on who you play with. If everyone's on the same page about it, probably won't have too much trouble with the well, actually. And I think maybe that's what I'm getting at with the naming of the variants. Maybe it would be helpful if they were named in a way that better described the type of play. If you don't feel as though you're competently playing a game, I think that keeps a lot of people out of board gaming. As a holiday game, I think it's not very good. As a regular board game, I think it is pretty good. That does not mean that I intend to play it again. I, I think, back to my apology, Oh, okay. I, I think the game is going to be good in two of three scenarios. Okay. Scenario one, you play the game with a group of people who are want to play a fun holiday game and who will not count the cards. Yeah. Everyone gets to have fun. Game Scenario two, you play the game with a bunch of serious card players, all who are counting cards. I think that'd be very fun. Mixing the two seems like a terrible idea, and I think... I, I didn't have the impression that it was like a... What, what's the phrase you guys are using for... Well, actually. Well, actually. Well, actually. It's, uh, you're often the one saying, well, actually. Well, I think the... Well, the, I, I, I was... I mean, I, I typically knew like how many of each color were left, and I, I I wasn't surprised a lot. But then also, like if I'm not surprised, then I'm planning, and then I'm making it less fun for everyone. And I have a hard time not doing that when I'm playing a card game. Yeah, and I think... It is, it's hard to keep up with everything that is going on for such a small game. Now, this is my personal issue. Later in the game, Aaron made a rules clarification. And then I, I think for me in games like this, I if someone knows the rules that well, and if they're doing those things, I also want that person to be a little more game steward. I feel like that's what bridges the gap. 
in that third scenario where you say like, maybe no one has fun to invite everyone else into this other level and explain that more. Cause I think more people are open to it, but if you're not someone who can count cards, counting cards is a somewhat difficult thing to do that typically takes a lot of practice. Uh, so it is a, an interesting variation on trick taking. We played a lot of, uh, I'll say modern approaches to trick taking where there's something different. I feel like this one is actually functionally different. There are layers and levels of things on this trick taking game that other ones that we played as of late, these uh, different iterations have not really provided where it's kind of like, yeah, it's the same game. You just, you know, now you're a walrus or whatever the other thing is, but like, this one actually felt different enough, so I did respect the developmental part of that. The the construction of the game, as far as that goes, I thought was impressive. Yeah, I think whatever game Time Palatrix was before it was turned into this was already a good game, and the theme, I think, made it better. For, as you're playing these tricks, being able to play in these different kind of areas, this past, present, and future certainly makes it unique that you feel like you're playing three games at once. I don't think there's a lot of that going on. The other trick-taking parts of it are very normal, though. How it's being evaluated, because it's changing, is a little unconventional, but everything else kind of conforms to what you know about trick-taking. I think it surprised me two or three times. Like, I think as I was trying to adjust to what the game was doing to my like trick taking tropes or the things that I'm always trying to do in a trick taking game. Like it took me, I feel like I would need to play it two or three more times to feel like I understood it. Well, I wish you all the best of luck. Finding, yeah. <laughs> finding, play finding anyone to play with. can't imagine. <laughs> he didn't, didn't really understand it. He says, I would like it. If you got exactly your bid, you got double. If you, otherwise you get, only as many doors as you have. So if you had four doors, but you got six, you only score four points. If you get exactly what you got, you would score double. If yeah. you get less than your total four, you would also just score one for each door. What if you got you less, got. you got the you got the number of, of wreaths, you got minus the number of available doors. So it was still two punishing to not bid two. correct, uh, but you still get points. Yeah, I still think that's a better scoring than what's yeah. in there. I'm not sure how the game was strengthened by that particular scoring when it's such an when it's such an unconventional method of evaluating the yeah. tricks and playing three at one it, in spades if you go under then you get set and you actually lose your, your your full bid so it's negative points so in that sense spades is more punishing but in spades if you go over you don't get zero you get right. your tricks plus a tenth of your tricks i i think it is interesting for the scoring to be in some ways more punishing i thought it was engaging and challenging the scoring yeah. or the whole thing that well the, the whole thing but i think the score the scoring for me was the amount of challenge i was looking for from a trick-taking game i think i could love this game if it was a team game and you were like oh. you were partners like in mm. euchre things it like might be that. a team game at four players I don't yeah, think. I think that could then maybe be fun. I think you're minimizing maybe some of that well, actually. It's best at you've four. Got someone else there. Now, I will say the three-player version of Spades, uh, which I was comparing it to, is commonly called Cutthroat. Oh. Because it, it three, yeah, it, it typically ends in, like, having played a lot of three-handed Spades with some boisterous competitive folks, it ends sadly a lot. Well, and I think what would have been best in three, and maybe this is why it's called why in spades it's called cutthroat 
in the last hand that we played, Adam and I realized like, well, Aaron's already ahead by so much. We just need him to lose. But I don't think Adam and I, I get, I'll speak for myself. I didn't feel competent in being able to force that to happen. And I think if you know the game better, that's, that probably is possible to make someone do that. If you're counting cards, so you know what's left between the two people, you're kind of uh, passively or maybe actively teaming up with one of those people. So by what they play, it can inform what they have or don't have. But if you're not playing trick-taking games all the time, that's a big leap. Or if you haven't played them so much in your past that you're familiar with like what? the way those strategies lay out, that's a big leap. But I, I think, think that's exactly what you would need to do in a three-player, and probably even in a four-player game. I, I think even in this game, it's a big leap. Like... I felt out of, even as comfortable as, even as much as I enjoyed it, and as much as I said the challenge was invigorating, like, there are definitely things in there where I was like, oh, I'm a little out of my element here. This is not going the way I expected. But I think that that's very relative, because I think that you were, I think you were perfectly well suited in what was happening here. I would like to revisit my apology and say that... The nice thing about the game, I'm going to say nice in a way that no one else is going to think is nice, is that if you miss your bid badly, all you really need to do is manipulate the other people's tricks so that they don't meet their bids and no one scores points and you basically lose nothing. I mean, this is pretty much leading well into how do you feel while playing and maybe I feel manipulated. I don't think I feel like I'm having like a fun holiday Christmas time. So much relies on you being able to predict what's going to happen and yet what is about to happen in front of you is, you know, different people playing the three different uh, time settings. And then that's going to be evaluated different than the way in which they were played. So it feels like, well, yes. And then if I could also predict the future, I would win the lottery. And I guess this game and that lottery winnings would both go pretty well. Yeah. And then some of the people who are playing are going to try to play in a strategic order. So it's just to conceal to you what would be the most optimal play for you. I don't know even what that that meant, but oh, I, I don't follow know. that at all. Well, I, I think was yeah. that like a secret society code. Like, no, are you talking I to other people over the internet? I wasn't. I I think it's. I think knowing when to show that you intend to take a trick or not take a trick is very important. So the order that you decide to play in is is it, it, not only like when you're the first person to play into an area where you set the color, but like it's definitely a game where the order matters for every card. I think. That it is a also a lot of luck, and we haven't really talked about that yet. I, I don't disagree with that. And I think, you know, you're being dealt a hand of cards. And I think there are just disproportionately better and worse hands of cards yeah. on that. And I think it is a game that will very much look like it is not a game of luck. And I think it is very much a game of luck in that way, where there will be advantages and disadvantages. I understand that's where like the bidding comes in mm-hmm. for predicting what you can get. But I think that can be more difficult depending on what type of yes. cards you have. There are very yes. clear hands. I know I'm going to get these three tricks. I mean, there's literally hands you know the tricks you're going to get. Yeah. And there are times where it's a lot more ambiguous. And that's really difficult. And person to person, that's going to vary even in the same game. Right. I think that that is the overlap of luck and skill because the more skilled you are at trick taking, which probably does involve counting cards and kind of just understanding the if thens of how cards get played out and then deciding which one of those routes you want to try to take the manipulation side of it that Aaron was mentioning. That's when you have to, if you're very skilled, 
try to dictate like the current and the direction of the way things are going to go. So you're mitigating luck. I think that I very much enjoy luck mitigation because I think in some ways that's my approach to life. I'm strategically kind of iterating, trying to eliminate uh, negative, uh, negative outcomes. And I do that very well in other board games. I do not do that um, that well in trick-taking card games. I can do okay, but I have not played them a ton. And if you come up against someone who's played them a ton, every time, every time they understand better how to use those side of skill and manipulation things to mitigate the inherent luck of the cards they've been dealt. One of Adam's approaches in playing trick-taking games with me often is to lead out the power suit, right? And I think... One, that makes it a little bit easier for me because then Adam is playing predictably, but also takes away some of the cleverness that you can have. I think that that... uh, Like, it reduces my options to be fun. Right. Whatever that power suit is, it pulls down the mitigation that's available to you because that's a heavily mitigating thing is how you're going to use that power suit. It's classically called Trump suit. I'm trying to call it something else. How you're going to use that power suit usually is one of the main ways in which someone who's skilled mitigates their luck. They're trying to get rid of other colors so they can play things exactly when they want to. And again, kind of direct the flow of where the game is going towards their ends. Yeah. So one of the more Slytherin activities. When I play triumph games with Adam, I feel like I have less creative resources, but I feel like I have a lot more information. You know, you've kind of referenced that this deviating strategy, right? That when you are given signs, uh-huh. um, that it's not going to want as a service uh, in the spirit of Christmas to our listeners. Could you kind of be more specific about like, what is it you're actually looking for to improve their gameplay? And then how are you shifting once you're given what this information is? Okay, so uh, a real clear key indicator is if in the first two or three cards played, if somebody plays off suit, then I understand the balance of cards. So I know how many of each, there's only three players. So I know how many of each card I started with. And now I know, for example, that you only had two yellow cards, which means I know exactly how many yellow cards Kelly has because I know how many yellow cards I had. And if I know how many yellow cards they have and I know what Kelly's bid was and I know that she has been either trying to aggressively take tricks or not aggressively take tricks, I know the relative strength of those yellow cards cards and then I can kind of make some assumptions and if that happens and I assume there to be a balance of yellow I know that I might be in trouble if I was planning on yellow being balanced as part of my strategy when you sat down to bid then you're taking is is it fair to say you're assuming an even spread until you're told something else and then you deviate based on that knowledge and do you bid up or down variance based on expected tricks it depends on if I'm bidding first or last. If I'm bidding first, yeah, I absolutely, I expect there to be, I expect my hand to be what it is, and I expect you guys to have an equal share of everything. And then I typically have a backup plan for if one or two of those things are wrong. And so typically when I'm bidding in any trick-taking game, I try to count tricks that would be really hard for the opponents to take away from me. And then I count tricks that I might get. And then I typically have some sort of like... Um, you know, value system that I assign where I'm like, oh, that's like 25% of a trick. That's like 30% of a trick. And then if it adds up to another, I'll round up. And then if I feel like, like if I have an asymmetric hand, then I'll be much more cautious in my bid. If I have a symmetric hand, that'll be pretty aggressive in my bid because I know more information. Um, 
And if I'm bidding last and I have information about what you all have bid, like if Kelly bids high and you bid low, then I will assume asymmetry and then and then need things to prove to me that my asymmetrical assumption is wrong. <laughs> Kelly's looking at me like, I don't know what the look is, but it's not good. It's It's not good because you're talking about percentages of hand you're going to win and you are more clearly defining the very big gap. This probably happens with, I think... A lot of board games. I think trick-taking games maybe can happen a little more than others. You are talking about a very wide gap between the average person, uh, just a person at random, um, that walks up to play this game, and yourself. The percentile difference here is pretty staggering. And I think that is the well-actually-fun depletion, is if you are at percentages of tricks that you're adding up. Well, and it's more like intuitive than that, but that's describing my mind It's process. only intuitive because you've done it a lot. Well, right, but I'm not saying, you know, 0.25, 0.75. I'm saying, ah, that's ish a trick, that's ish a trick. I have a, ah, we're going to call that two tricks between those two cards. Or, you know, two tricks between those four cards or three tricks between... Those are know. percentages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think those are percentages. And I'm not saying that you're... I'm not saying that you're wrong to do it, but that does create a pretty wide gap between the average person who's going to play and someone at your percentile ranking of trick-taking games. So you feel pretty differently while playing than what I described. I don't think that Adam feels like a mastermind with the numbers swirling around his head in equations and formulas while playing a trick-taking game. I could be wrong. I don't know. Adam, how do you feel while playing? You're correct. I would say my only intuitive benefit, as Aaron will reference often, is over the years of playing with him, I do think I know how to bother him, frustrate him, upset him, or derail him in any possible way. Now, asterisk that, it does not typically translate to a win. It does not yeah. typically translate to more points. Yeah. So it's really just for me. It's a gift for myself is what right. it is. You're well, it's not actually a gift for the, the game. Time. But I think that matters because if, yeah. if you are that person in your game group, and you're like, well, Aaron's going to play, let's say perfectly. And I know perfectly is not the right word, but it's easy just to say in this case. Aaron's going to play perfectly. I probably can't actually do anything to stop it. That's going to net me a win. Mm. Like that's really, really difficult to right. do. So I'm just playing a different game. I, yeah, I will I'm say he's going to be playing. Let's let's see if I can make him mumble under his breath. And three I, times I'm bidding that in my brain. And I what think what might be both great and ultimately, you know, not great about that is I think you're only making him stronger. I think so, too. Well, I will yeah. say, like, I no. have, I've learned to, like, anticipate the style of play, but I will say, like, you absolutely succeed in making the game less fun for me. Like, it's... Oh, well, then that's something, because you're certainly... It's it's way more fun when the when the triumph... When the, when, the, when the power cards are played in a... I'll call it a customary fashion. Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I think, ultimately, I'm also with Adam on this. I, I started it with one hand, because I had more than I knew what to do with, and I was not... I was not trying to win with all of them. So I started leading them out. Adam started leading them out, which forced them out of Aaron's hand. And I've seen Adam do that a lot. I don't always love it because it has a different flavor in every game that you play. But at least for this one, I was like, honestly, yeah, let's just get these out of here. Every every different past, present, future, let's just get them out of here and then play a somewhat normal game. 
Right. And I will say there are some games, I think, that the tactic of continually doing things that are the counter to what Aaron is doing does work. Yeah, oh, I think you know, Aaron's yeah. favorite game is Catan. He will play that game perfectly. You, you will lose disproportionately at this point because other people are going to do enough other things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't. I, I, disproportionately, I, I, I can't win in our game group in Catan. But trick taking right. games are different. Like I'm like, I, I spent the better part of my childhood and adolescence and college time so playing you know, trick taking games with incredibly competitive and card counting people. I would be interested because as much as Adam enjoys messing with Aaron. And, you know, that's how he finds his own joy uh, in playing the game. I don't think anyone does it better than Jason. Oh. Yeah, that's true. And I, he's do he's not doing it in the same way either. No, because he doesn't, no. like, Adam does it, like, just playing the trump cards makes makes me sad. Jason plays Jason finds a way to deeply sabotage every notion that Aaron holds dear. And I got to say, that's, if it's this kind of game, I will say wholeheartedly, I'm not interested in playing it again. It, not playing again with Aaron unless Jason is there. It is a he is like the the like the superhero villain sort of uh thing where they balance each other out. Like I even the two fo- the two forces oppose one another. It's that sort it's that sort of thing that happens. So it I feel like it resets the kind of calms the water. They they even each other out in a way, and I don't think Jason's really thinking nearly as much of it. He'll do this as thing where we're playing Catan. As I or you are. Sorry, I didn't mean it. Yeah, he'll do this thing where we're playing Catan, where he will say to me, like he'll do an action that very clearly disrupts my plan. Like mm. it is a direct attack on me, oh. I believe. And then he'll be like, oh, I was just doing the thing. I didn't even know it would affect you. And then like three turns later, it turns out I can't do exactly what I want because who's in the way? It's Jason. Now, now he knows it. We are about to wrap this up about whether we would recommend it. But I have to say, as far as you and Catan and saying that someone ruins your plan. Oh, I mean, at I, the I have very a bad track beginning record here. of a game of Catan, I place my things out. And I, I don't remember the exact thing you said, but it was basically, you've ruined my chances at winning this game. You've absolutely destroyed my chances at winning this game. This is the very first placement you make in Catan, arguably before the game has started. And Aaron did win that game. It was such a crazy statement that I laughed because I couldn't imagine anything so ridiculous. It's not funny now. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time too. Would you recommend this game? Aaron, it seems like... Your answer is yes. Yeah, I Who love it. Who would you recommend it to? I would. Rec- I think I'm going to stick with my dichotomy, yeah. or it's really a, a trichotomy. I would recommend it to anyone who's playing with people who are in the same likeness of of intensity for card games. Do you think that hardcore spades players they're they're playing spades all the time? Do you think this is the game they should break out for the holidays, or just kind of all the time, or like you know interspersed in their regular spades playing? Um. I would like to play a game like this more often, but I think I'm atypical. I think most of them would be like, yeah, let's play for the holidays and then let's, let's play enough. Spades. Okay. Yeah, let's okay. play spades. So I would recommend it, but with that, I would recommend it and say, just see how you like the scoring and whether or not, I think the hardcore groups probably like the predictive bid scoring, despite not liking the name of the variant. I think doing a different scoring variant would probably work better for your average group of people. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I would recommend this for like a coworker party, like a oh. one-off family event. I imagine if you played it with a family event with people that play cards, I bet you play this once and then everyone wants to go back to the game. They know how to play and know mm. how to win. Would be my estimate. Mm. But yeah, I think it's a nice. Let's play this one time because it's got seasonal characters on there. 
and then we'll set this aside. Right. And it'll be 25 cents at a garage sale. <laughs> While you're playing the Christmas movie of your choice, maybe even Muppet Christmas Carol or some other Christmas Carol, you could yeah. play it. It'd be over before the movie's over. You're back to your figgy pudding and festivities. You can get all the icing from the cookies on it that you want. Like, no one's going to be upset that you've ruined their version of this game. I think it's, honestly, I have nothing against the game. I just think that's the role it's going to play in people's lives. It's just that function. Thank you so much for listening to episode 85. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. Even though we all technically recommended this game, we did so with many caveats. If you happen to give this a try, let us know what you think of the game on any of the platforms I've just mentioned. It's also worth noting that the rulebook does suggest playing the bidless Tiny Tim variant first before playing the regular game. The next episode will be our review of 12 Days another trick-taking holiday game, unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 84 more episodes headed your way, the next one being our Board Game of the Month picks for November 2022. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today.